Today is part three of a series that I've called Worship More Than a Song. And the foundational scripture that I've been reading from, teaching from, launching off of is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn there. It will be on screen. Very strong, authoritative verse here that is giving us instruction. Um, this isn't a suggestion or a, I hope you do this, or if you find the time, maybe you could try. No, this is instruction to us. And today what I'm gonna do is uh, read this text, and I'm gonna catch us up on where we've been and tell you where we're going today. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says this. Give to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord. It's more than a song. It is anything that flows from your heart with the intention of honoring God. Anything that is a part of your life, your behavior, your spirit, your attitude, your demeanor, your gestures, <laughs> your facial expressions, your tone, anything that flows out of your heart with the intention of honoring God can be worship. And I've talked to you about the importance of time and attention in your worship. Your time and your attention are the most valuable things you have, and it's interesting because worship resolves the confusion about what to do with your time and your attention. The enemy of time is impatience. The enemy of attention is distraction. And worship brings our attention, our focus, our time, our patience back to God. It just does that. I talked about that in week one, called, called that worship in the wilderness. Week two, I talked to you about spirit and in truth. The title of that message was Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. That it's worship is a whole body experience, spirit, soul, and body, that it is, we are to worship in spirit and truth, meaning there is to be an engagement with our heart and our soul. It is a moment where we are to be excited and exuberant and participating in the goodness and glory of God. Worship and praise is not a personality trait. It's not a temperament or a demeanor or a style. It is a heart flow and a heart response to a very, very good God. And I said, we don't want to just worship from shoulders up. It's real heady, real technical, judging and examining songs, whether they line up with your theology or not, and disengaging because something captures your mind's attention rather than being focused on God. We talked about all of those things. My goal today is I want to teach you a pattern for living a worshipful life. I've entitled today's message, A Walk in His Presence. A Walk in His Presence. I'm going to give you a pattern, a biblical template. Now, let's not be shoulders up about this. You can't reduce, listen very carefully, you cannot reduce the presence of God to a formula or an equation. That's dead 
ritualistic, shoulders-up religion. But what you can do is we can apply principles from God's word that helps you walk in his presence. And that's what we're gonna endeavor to do. So if you're a note taker, take notes. If you are a sit back and take it all in, then sit back and take it all in. If you're a person who learns by doing, we're gonna have a chance to do that as well. But I'm gonna provide, just in case I move too quickly, so you can, the note takers can rest assured if you miss something, I'm gonna make all these notes available to our entire church, all right? So you're gonna have access to those. So if you miss something, don't stress. Gonna make sure it's covered because I really wanna serve you well in this. Now, God does not need this structure for himself. God doesn't need this structure to help him. We need it to help us. So don't look at this as a checklist and, oh, I didn't do this exactly right, so God's presence isn't gonna be available to me. That's an Old Testament pattern. I do wanna use an Old Testament picture, but I wanna interpret it in the light of the New Testament for you. And so on screen, you're gonna see a picture of the plan of the tabernacle from the Old Testament. And you're gonna see five things here that we're gonna walk in his presence through. This was where God's presence was housed in the Holy of Holies. I wanna draw your attention to the gate, the court, the gate, the court, the altar, the brazen altar and the laver, then the holy place and the holy of holies. This structures our walk in his presence for today. And what you're gonna leave with is a template, a pattern that you can follow in your work, in your home, in your everyday life so that you can be confident and approach his throne of grace when you need mercy, which is when? Every day. That's why one writer said, his mercies are new. Oh, come on now. His mercies are new every morning. Why? Because every morning you need mercy. Every morning you need mercy. Um, so here are the five that we're gonna go through. First, we worship as we arrive then we worship at the gate, then we experience the courts of testimony, then there is the place of preparation, and then there is the place of his holy presence. These are the five markers in the walk in his presence. How many of you have ever been hiking before? Okay, how many of you, it's all you can do to get your, to your mailbox and back? There you go, it's fine. Along the way on most of our journeys, if you're hiking at Blackhand Gorge, for example, there will be markers along the way to remind you or to help you as you're on your journey. Every time I'm walking, like, oh, are we still on our way to the fall? Are we still on our way to that place? Or, like, where are we going? And, and every once in a while I get impatient and then I'm like, oh, there's the red marker, there's the yellow marker, we're still on the right path. That's how I want you to view these five things as markers. 
Um, not a, again, not a ritualistic shoulders-up checklist, but a pattern that you can follow to help you in his presence. Um, so let's begin. Number one, we worship as we arrive. This is when we call our attention to the sustaining activity of God since we last met. That's why we did what we did during the 156 seconds. You started worshiping and didn't even know it. Notice that no live music has been played yet, but we are worshiping. We worship as, everybody say as. As we arrive, that begins from the moment you wake up on Sunday morning and are getting ready and brushing your teeth and getting prepared to be here as you arrive. On your car ride here, you are getting ready to enter his presence and worship doesn't begin here when the countdown gets to zero and the worship team begins to play. It begins as we all leave our homes with a heart expectant for God to do something in his house and we're excited to be able to be with the people of God again. Like, like he got us back here again. He did it again. A whole bunch of stuff could have stopped us, but we're back again as we worship. It's to stir our expectation to God. Psalm 122 says this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I wonder how many of you practice that today. Someone says, I need to tell my kids that. You need to tell you that first. Yeah. <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. When you wake up on Sunday morning, my mom used to do this. She played this record every day for forever. It was the album, I, I don't know why I remember this. The album was called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. <laughs> and she played this song every morning that was um, a stirring, joyful song. It's time to get up, it's time to get up. And I'm like, that stupid thing is worse than any alarm I've ever heard. And I, heard it on, I heard it on the YouTube or something, like I pulled it up and it kinda, it, it made me flinch. <laughs> but mom did that for me. Like we need to do that, we need to, we, like just pause before we go any further. Are we practicing that verse in our lives? It doesn't matter what it means in the Greek or the Hebrew, you're not doing it in English, right? Like, let's get the English part down. Like, you wake up on Sunday morning, you're like, I'm glad, it's time to go back to God's house. When your husband or wife says, hey, we're going to church today, right? Yep, I'm glad when my wife said unto me, we're gonna go to the house of the Lord. Wouldn't it be amazing if your kids, you start training your kids and you invest in them from whatever age they are, that they wake up on Sunday morning and you say it's time to go to church and they're like, I'm glad that it's time to go to church. Not I'm sad or I'm mad or I'm, I'm throwing stuff and breaking stuff. Like as we worship, it doesn't start here. It starts out there. And I can see in my mind's eye, as a church like ours starts their Sunday morning, do not underestimate the spiritual ripple effects that will have as you come to God's house to worship. My Bible says this, that surely goodness and mercy 
follow me all the days of my life. That means when I'm driving, goodness and mercy following me. And one thing I can tell you, goodness and mercy is fast. You can't outrun it. Like, what if we did that? Psalm 115, one says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of the steadfast love and your faithfulness. Psalm 134 says this, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Psalm 34, one says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Like this is all of us participating and that's what we did in the beginning. The next stage is about worshiping at the gate. So they were worshiping as they arrived. Then once they got to the tabernacle and the temple, their heart was ready. They'd already stirred themselves up. And this is where every soul together is engaging in worship. Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates, right here, the gate. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless him for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Now, we have a chance to do this together. We're gonna do one and two together. We've already shared God's faithfulness with those around us. The worship team's gonna come and help me. Right where you are watching, I want you to find your favorite song. It doesn't matter to me what genre it is, what style it is, how loud or how soft you play it, but I want you to find a song that expresses and reminds you of God's faithfulness and the song helps you to express gratitude. That's what this part is about. That's what this part is about. I want you to think with me for just a moment and then we're gonna express a heart of gratitude. Anybody ever been discouraged? I found the solution for discouragement. You wanna know what it is? Discouragement is a loss of hope for the future. I've been discouraged in my personal life. I've been discouraged in my financial life. I've been discouraged in my professional life. There's no greater level of discouragement that I experienced than with the loss of my mom. I expected it to go one way and it went another way and it, just, it hurt me as a person. I've expected finances to go a certain way and they didn't and it hurt me. I expected the church to go a certain way and it didn't and it hurt me as a, as a pastor. But before I am all of those things and before you are whatever you are, you're a human. And 
the condition of humanity is not exempt from the feeling of discouragement. I thought the solution for discouragement was to think about the future, hope for it to be better, keep my fingers crossed, put my nose down, pull myself up by the bootstraps, and just go forward and try harder. But that didn't solve it. And I realized a biblical pattern to solve discouragement. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. When you're discouraged about the future, don't think about the future. Think about the past when God's been faithful to you. Don't think about the future. Think about what God has already done for you and watch that discouragement turn into encouragement. David said this, I'm gonna encourage myself in the Lord. I'm not gonna wait for somebody to help me. I'm not gonna hope somebody does it. I'm not gonna live with the expectation of anybody doing it. I am my own best encourager. Well, David, how in the heck do you do that? He showed us. He went out to face that giant. I don't know what giant you're facing. Discouragement is a big giant. This isn't the end of the service. This is just step, this is just step two. Gratitude. He faced that giant, and this is what he said when he was challenged and questioned. He said this, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the mouth of the bear that same God is gonna deliver me from the thing that stands in front of me now. David encouraged himself with God's past faithfulness to get him to what was next. And I want you to, I want you to stand up on your feet and I want you to give God some glory and let's express some gratitude in this song and let's put our faith into action, then I'm gonna talk about the next steps and we're gonna worship again here in a minute. Let's worship together and tell him how grateful we are. Number three is the outer courts, the courts of testimony. We've talked about how faithful God has been, we've expressed our gratitude, we came with a heart that was glad and praised who he is. This is, this is the moment in the process with the Old Testament as a backdrop and a metaphor, is where the brazen altar and the laver came into play. This is where an offering was brought, where their best was brought to the Lord. They brought a physical gift to God. They brought something that mattered to them. Now, in a service, this might be where we read a scripture that has proven true about God's provision in our life. It's, it might be an invitation to come down front with, with your burdens or your prayers and give those to God. It may, it may be you bring your offering to the Lord. We're gonna worship with a couple more songs here in a few minutes, and as we do, there are baskets here at the altar. There are uh, containers in the back, and I'm gonna encourage every person to bring an offering to the Lord. Um, look at Psalm 145 with me. Uh, verse four says, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare my uh, mighty acts. How's the next generation gonna know the way if we don't show them? 
We're talking about how God has come through for us. Psalm 96, 8, almost an identical verse to 1 Chronicles 16, 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. You look at that photo and you see the courts of testimony are where the offering was placed, where they brought that gift to God. And they're gonna, this is the time where now and throughout the rest of the service, I wanna lead you through a worshipful giving of an offering. I've endeavored over the years to teach you five reasons why we give that are biblical. Um, we give, number one, whatever we give. We give because we love God. And number two, we give because we want to obey his word. Not my way, God, but your way. If I want your best, I've got to do it your way. Number three, we give because we want to see the kingdom of God advance in the earth. How many of you are interested in seeing God's kingdom grow through the hearts and lives of others being changed? That's, why we, that, that's one of the reasons that motivates us to give scripturally. Number four, because I want to help other people. Number five, because I'm planting a seed for my own need. God instructs us and teaches us and shows us the way that he set it up is seed time and harvest. That's not just for a farmer, that's for every believer, that whatever a person gives, that's what they will reap. And he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. That isn't Josh's idea, that isn't anyone's idea except God's. That is what God says about the subject. And here's what I want you to understand. You will be tempted to allow some other authority and idea to supersede God's idea, and you will never, never walk in his presence and through his presence following a different process except for the one that God put forth. So I wanna encourage you about that. Number four is the place of preparation. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Who, it says, may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. In that image of the, of the tabernacle, maybe we could... Um, if, if we could put that up just a moment to reference it once more, that might be helpful for the visual learners to see that tabernacle up on the screen one more time. This is where repentance and cleansing comes in. This is the time where we express holy reverence and awe for his presence. It's where we're reminded that we are wrapped in the robe of Christ's righteousness. There you have it. So the court and the gate, see the two boxes of holy of holies in the holy place? How many of you can see that? The general population stops in the Old Testament pattern at that door of the holy place and the group radically shrinks. Only those 
that were in the priestly order came into that holy place, a certain of them. The next place is the Holy of Holies. You got it in your mind? Good. This is the moment, thank you guys, this is the moment where it's all about God, okay? Here's what would occur. The priestly order would be in that preparation place. And the high priest, one man, once a year, would walk from the holy place through the holy of holies. You can read in the Old Testament and see the production that this was. I mean, it's elaborate. The two things that I want to make you aware of is the high priest would go in once a year and there was a massive thick curtain that separated the holy of holies from that place of preparation. One man once a year would clean his hands, clean his heart, go through the ritual, and walk through that veil, that curtain. And as he did, he had a robe, and attached to the bottom of that robe were tassels in the form of bells that would make noise as he walked and did the ritual. But before he would go through the curtain, they would tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he hadn't ticked all the boxes and the sacrifice wasn't accepted, the high priest's penalty was that God would take his life. And the man would fall down dead and none of the priests dared go behind the curtain where the presence of God was and they would physically drag the man's body out from behind the curtain. I'm here ready to go to the holy place. <laughs> like that's intense, right? But that's the Old Testament picture. Here's the New Testament picture. The New Testament picture is that Jesus was the lamb, the sacrifice. We've taught you about this. And the moment he died, a very important detail occurs in the Gospels. That the curtain that separated the presence of God from the rest of the world, the moment Jesus said it was finished, that curtain was torn in two, symbolizing that always and forever there will not be a containment of the power of God in one place or reserved for one person. That's why your Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in the time of need. The top of that ark where the presence of God was contained was called the mercy seat. And blood would be sprinkled on that mercy seat. But the sacrifice of Jesus, once and for all, was the final sacrifice that was ever needed to justify humanity, and his blood was the substitution for every sin, past, present, and future that anyone would commit, and that all we have to do is come boldly and ask, and whatever we ask of him, it will be given to us because he's already provided redemption for humanity. Amen. This, is, this is the moment, and I'm gonna invite the team to join me.
We're gonna sing two songs, King of Kings, and we're gonna be reminded that's four. The offering is three, so during worship, bring your offering, send your offering. They'll put ways on screen one more time. Send your offering, give your offering, then prepare your heart. This is the moment where you find anything that stands between you and God and, get, and deal with it. The song after King of Kings is called Worthy of It All. And you'll find songs now in your worship time that will fit into these five categories. You'll find songs that are upbeat and cause you to praise and magnify God in the beginning. You'll, you'll find songs that will stir your heart and soul. Then you'll, you'll find songs that remind you of what's been given to you and you make requests. There are many songs written about asking God to do something in our life. But the fourth is where we say, okay God, um, enough about me, now it's about you. Refine, it's partly about me still in step four because I'm asking him to prepare me and to refine me and to strengthen me, but watch, when you get into the holy of holies, the place of his holy presence, listen, this is the moment when it's all and only about God. He increases and you decrease. The songs aren't about you and what you need anymore. They're about his worth and his majesty and what is due his name. We've got to have these. There, there, are, there are very few of these songs out there to be found. But it, it also can apply in your everyday life. That um, how frank can I be with you today? Bring it. Our me culture and society has invaded your heart and thereby has invaded the church and you mistakenly think that church is about you. And church is not about you. It's about giving him the glory that is due his name. Right? So I'm gonna be very frank with you. Some of you are going to stand around and watch and judge that other people aren't worshiping like you think they should. And you've missed the point. You're making it about them instead of him. Who gives a flying flip what that person is doing? It's not yours to judge. It's yours to give glory to his name. I don't care if you're the only one in this house worshiping. You won't be, but if you are, it should not matter because you did not come here for an audience of us. You came here for an audience of one, him, to give him glory, right? Like, like we got our mind on the me channel so much and our devices play into it. They listen to us. Do you know that? Your phones listen to you. I let my secret out of the bag this morning, and I might as well use it as an illustration because she already knows, but when my wife leaves the house or leaves the room and leaves her phone behind, I know that her phone is listening, so I grab it and I say, Titleist golf clubs. <laughs> golf balls, Pro V1 golf balls, 
Nike golf attire. Titleist, Titleist, Titleist. Yeezys, Yeezys, Yeezys. Right? Watch. Watch. You said I could be frank, right? We come in here and we worship. And we say, Titleist, Titleist, Titleist. Golf club, golf club, golf club. Yeezys, Yeezys, Yeezys. We think that this is about us. But when we get into that place, we didn't even think about us. This isn't about us. It's all about him. It's not about, it's not about what he can do for you in that moment. There's a place for that. Don't misunderstand me. But when you're there, you're there. Don't interrupt his presence with your preferences. Don't interrupt that moment with your needs. He knows that. He'll get there. We've already been over the fact that he's always taken care of you. He's never let you down. He's not gonna start now. So take a walk into his presence. Okay. I want you to him, for him, and about him. Why don't you stand with me? Nothing about us or what he can do for us over the next few minutes. I've wanted, if you're watching right now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to find two songs. The first one can have a little bit of you in it, but not much. The next one, I want it to be all about him and his glory. First Chronicles 16, 29 says, give to the Lord the glory due his name Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I want to read a couple verses because I think it would be helpful for you to see this in Scripture that a simple act of worship can be expressed in a very bold and daring action, which is, the, which is the raising of hands. Now watch. Why? I think people think that raising hands is a style or preference based on a doctrinal position or theology of a church. When I'm talking about raising your hands, I'm not talking about church creed or doctrine. I'm talking about what the Bible says. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, the NIV says this, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. The New Living Translation says it this way, In every place of worship, I want people with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. The English Standard Version says this, God speaking to you, and God speaking to me says this, I desire 
then that in every place that people should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. The New American says this, I want the men in every place to lift up holy hands without anger and dispute. The Amplified says this, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing or quarreling or doubting in their mind. The American Standard Version says this, I desire therefore that men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and disputing. The Good News Translation says this, in every church service, I want the men to pray, men who are dedicated to God and can lift up their hands in prayer without anger or arguments. Young's Literal says this, I wish therefore that people in every place lifting up kind hands apart from anger and reasoning. I wanted to establish in your heart and mind that this is not a style or a personal preference. This is an act of worship. That when you do this, you can symbolically and spiritually be letting go of anger and doubt and trying to figure it out in your own mind. You can just, with a physical expression of a spiritual need, say, God, I let the thing go to you and I'm not gonna take it back. The problem may not disappear, but you can worship and say, I'm giving it to you, God. So as we worship, I've simply just done my best to help show you the pattern. And now, I'm gonna stay up here. Is it okay if I stay up here and worship from here? Is that okay? I like to do that. Not by any, I'm gonna be over there. Or I'm gonna be wherever I wanna be, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, right?